chapter 1, verse 5. And uh, let me read that. So 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, Paul writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and now your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So last week, if you were here, Andrew talked about um, Paul. Paul was blindsided by change. You know, he was going one way, God interrupted, and all of a sudden, his life is completely turned around. This has, has this supernatural encounter with Jesus and instantly is changed. And as his sort of ministry is growing, you know, he's going out to sort of the known world at the time. He's going out all through sort of the lower part of Europe into Asia. There's a need to sort of recruit people. And one of the people he recruits is Timothy. Um, you can find it in Acts 16. I'll just read it quickly. Paul in Acts 16, it says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing there would have been a few, but this one in particular gets pointed out. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the, by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy goes from like a little boy who grows up with his mother. His dad wasn't a believer. His mother was. And he goes from childhood, he grows up, and he gets to a point where he's handpicked by Paul to be a leader in possibly one of the fastest growing movements of history. Like the church was rapidly expanding. Christianity was, was just going places like people were coming to jesus like daily hundreds and thousands of people we read through our acts and timothy he's picked he's picked by paul to be one of his right hand men and and what i love about the story of timothy is that he didn't get there overnight he didn't get to that point where he was you know paul's man he didn't that didn't happen just miraculously overnight but it happened over time from a faithful mother who was committed, who was God-honoring. And because it, she gets mentioned, like Paul, it's mentioned twice that his dad was a Greek, that his dad didn't know the scriptures, he wasn't, wasn't a believer, but his mother was. His mother's mentioned by name, and they are, they are sort of, from what we know, significant impact on Timothy and his faith. And so that's what we want to look at this morning, is the, the sort of the journey of Timothy, that long, chain, that long road of change. And, and, and I, I guess I want us to really to see this morning that that is just as powerful and miraculous as the story we heard last week with Paul. That, that the overnight thing that everyone goes, oh, wow, that's amazing, that is just as powerful and miraculous as the long road investment that takes time. And I think we need to see that God works in both and God is, you know, powerful enough to do both. And so we start with verse 5. It says, 
I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, now in your mother, and I'm now sure dwells in you. And I want to pick up on this idea of sincere faith. The word sincere literally translates to no hypocrisy, so without hypocrisy. So that was what, that's what got Paul's attention. It was a faith that was genuine, that was real, that was authentic. And with Timothy, he got it from his mama, and she got it from her mama. You know, there's something about sincere faith. You see, because the opposite is also true. Like, faith that isn't real, faith that isn't genuine, faith that, that has a hint of hypocrisy, people sort of can sniff that out pretty quickly. You know, particularly in our day and age, you know, we live in a day and age where everyone is skeptical, everyone is suspicious, everyone is sort of like, oh, I don't know. And when we live a faith that sort of, sort of lends itself to people thinking, oh, I'm not sure if this is real, then you know, people don't want a bar of it. But faith that is sincere, faith that is genuine and real, all of a sudden that smells a bit nicer. And so, you know, the first point for me this morning is that sincere faith is shared faith. Sincere faith is shared faith. And it works two ways. One, it works because, you know, people pay attention. People, people listen up to sincere faith. They, they, they respect it and they don't really want the watered-down version. You know, if we're going to believe in a God, well, let's believe in it like as it is, not sort of water it down to sort of suit our lifestyle. They want something real. They want something genuine. But also sincere faith is shared faith because I guess sincere, if we sincerely believe in the Bible and in what God has done, then we must sincerely be wanting to go and share that. Like, if we really believe it's good news, well, then we really should believe that we've got to share the good news. Like, no one keeps good news to themselves. It's always shared. And so sincere faith is shared faith. Now, if we really believe in God's Word and He's the Savior of all, that He's good and He's loving and that, you know, He's coming to judge and to restore, then we have to be people who share our faith. We need to continually push ourselves out. You know, I was thinking this picture of like a, you know, a wildfire, you know. You know, we, so we sort of use that language sometimes at church, that we, you know, set a fire, that, you know. And I think the enemy sometimes, you know, he knows he can't put it out. So what does he do? He just tries to contain it. And I think that's so often you look at sort of the Western church, that's what happens. We get contained to four walls and we just keep our gifts and we keep our you know, message to ourselves and we sort of encourage each other, which is important. Like, don't get me wrong. We need to work together and be a healthy community. But it needs to go out. So we need to break down the walls of our church. We need to break down the walls of our, our homes and our families and actually take out the good news. Knowing that it's a simple faith, it's a sincere faith, a genuine faith that we need to share. It's not our performance or our programs or our perfect gospel presentation or our perfect storytelling. Like That's not going to save people. What saves people is a simple and sincere faith that God alone is our Savior. So sincere faith is shared faith. You know I was reading this week, you know, there's a report from McCrindle Research. They did some research based in Australia. And um, they, they sort of asked the question, what's the most attractive thing for people to start 
engaging with religion and spirituality? You know, what's, what gets people to start thinking about faith and sp- thinking about spirituality? You want to know the top answer? Survey says, seeing people who live out a genuine faith. That was the top answer. So for people to start engaging with faith, thinking about spirituality and everything like that, the thing that got them most to that point, that attracted them to was people who lived out a genuine faith. And it's a scary thought for me. You know, what if, what if one of the reasons our country is so quickly distancing, distancing themselves from the church and from Christianity and religion, what if one of those reasons because we aren't living out a sincere and genuine faith? Now, I've got to ask that of myself. We've got to ask that of ourselves. That actually, you know, what if? You know, if you think about Timothy, you know, I love Timothy's story because, like, his dad, Greek man, non-believer, mum, Jewish woman, was a believer. Yet, and I mean, we don't know the whole story. His dad could have passed away or lived somewhere else. But which way does Timothy go with his beliefs? He goes with his mum. You know, every day he sees his mum just living out her faith, genuinely, sincerely. And eventually he gets to a point where he goes, I want that. We don't know the whole story, but we do know that the grandmother Lois, the mother Eunice, had a sincere faith. And that Timothy then wanted that too. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Well, no one's following my faith, so I mustn't have sincere faith. Or, you know, my life's a bit of a mess. You know, no one really, you know, my faith mustn't be sincere. But here's the thing, you know, it's not about having it all together. Because we, we convince ourselves that, okay, I need to have it all together. I need to do everything right. But that's not what faith is all about. So quickly, we fall back into sort of a works-based religion. We fall back into, okay, I've got to do this right, and I've got to do this thing, and do this thing, and do this thing. See, sincere faith is not about living a perfect life. Sincere faith is believing in a perfect Savior. And that's not just when we become a Christian, but that continues all the way through our life. Faith is about recognizing that we are broken, that we are messed up, that we don't have it all together, that we can't do it on our own strength, that our faith does waver. But it's believing that God is constant, that He is faithful, that He saves us, and that we keep turning back to Him daily. See, our story of change, like we've been talking about, needs to be grounded in the ultimate story of change, that, that we were dead in our transgression, as Ephesians 2 says. We were dead in our transgressions, but we are made alive in Christ. You know, and I was thinking, like, that, that, that's not just a once-off thing. It's not just, yeah, I was dead in my sin and then I was made alive in Christ when I was converted or when I believed or when I did my profession of faith or whatever it was. Like, that's not just a momentary thing, but that's a continual thing. That, that every day, as we are becoming more like Christ, we are dying to our sins and being made alive with Christ. It's not just a once-off thing, but it's a continual thing. And that is sincere faith. That is sincere faith, not pretending to have it all together, but being real and saying, I'm broken, I messed up, but God has saved me. And that's the good news. That's the message that people need to hear. So I want to encourage us this morning that we would share 
our story of faith, that we would share our faith with people. You know, it's not going to guarantee that people are going to listen and, and, and believe it. There's no guarantee. Nothing, humanly speaking, can do that. We need, but we need to keep telling our story, not because our story t- saves people, but our prayer is that our story points people to the one who does. You know, in the research I mentioned earlier, the first thing was genuine faith. The third thing, stories of change. The third thing that third most thing that attracted people towards faith was stories or testimonies from people who have changed due to their faith. You know, we need to tell our stories. You know, one thing I think is awesome about telling a story to someone who doesn't believe is that they can't argue with it. You know, like you, you give them facts and figures and evidence and all that, they can argue it away. But if you tell them your story, they can't really argue. I mean, unless they're a really terrible person, they might. But, you know, they, you can't, they can't argue with this story because it's who you are. And especially if they've seen it, if they've seen that change, if they've seen your life. But the challenge for us is to make Jesus the central part of our story. And Glenn often talks about this, you know, make Jesus... You know, the center of the story, the focus, the feature, even in our conversations, you know. And I was just thinking, like, how many, how many times do you get asked, you know, what are you doing on the weekend? And uh, how many times do you respond with, oh, I'm going to church? Like, does that actually feature in the answer is one question. But two, like, how, how do you, do you sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm playing sport all day, sad day. It's going to be a great day at the club, and I'm really looking forward to it. And then, like, yeah, Sunday, uh, I might go to church. Um, and then, oh, yeah, catching up with the family, which would be really good. And no wonder people don't want to eat far of church when you answer it like that, you know? But what if we actually said, yeah, you know, I've got some stuff on Saturday. I'm catching up with the family Sunday night. But, you know, Sunday morning, we're going to church, and we're hearing these stories of change. It's awesome. Like, God is really working there, and I can't wait to go. You know, like, making Jesus the center of the story doesn't mean we just, you know, when I get a chance to share my life story with someone, which happens once in a blue moon, then I'll make Jesus, like, it's making Jesus the center of every conversation and everything that we do that we actually, now, the other challenge with that is that's got to be a genuine response as well, because like we said before, it's sincere faith that's shared faith. But I want to encourage us this morning that we all have a story. We all have a story. It might be a bit like Paul. It might be that sort of overnight, powerful change. It might be like Timothy. From childhood, you've grown in the faith. But we need to be reminded that both of them are amazing because they point to an amazing God. I remember when I did my profession of faith when I was about 18, and I put it off for ages. Like, you know, I would have been a Christian before that, but I just kept putting it off. The reason I put it off is because I felt like I didn't have a story. I felt like I needed to go do some bad things and like go party somewhere and get really drunk and do something and then come back and be like, yeah, Jesus totally changed my life, you know? Like I feel like that's a story I need to have. Until someone really challenged me and said, you know, if you really believe that God is good, that he's loving, that he's your saviour and all that sort of stuff, like if you really believe it's good news, how awesome is a story that you've known that your whole life? You see, because he, he's like, you know, I've only known it for a few months. And they've been the best few months of my life. And before, I can see now just how 
dark and how lonely and how bad the years before that were. But if you really believe it's good news, how awesome that you've known that your whole life. See, we've all got a story. Whether you've known it, whether you've known Jesus for a few time, for a few months or a few weeks, whether you've known him for years or decades, or whether you don't know him yet, we've all got a story. We need to know that's worth sharing. Not just worth sharing, but it needs sharing. That people need to hear your story. Not because you look good in it. See, when I realized, what I realized, you know, with my profession of faith thing is that I wanted the cool stories so that I sort of looked good. But no, we need to tell our story not because we look good, because God does. Because God is perfect in all of his ways. And so the long road of change. I just want to talk a bit about that, the long road of change, because so often it is. So often when you invest in people's lives, it's a long road of change. If you look at your own life, it can be a long road. You know, motherhood is a great example of a long road of change. You know, my mum, I didn't tell you about this, but sorry. But my mum is still trying to change me, all right? Believe it or not, um, my diet isn't the best. And so on Monday, I was at home and I was, um, I was working on my sermon and getting things ready and stuff. And it was about, it was well over lunchtime, let's say that. And I was, I was about, I'm like, I just, I was in the zone. So I'm like riding away. I'm like, I'll go down and get some food. And then I hear a call from the bottom of the stairs, angelic voice saying, do you want any, do you want any lunch? I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, I would love some lunch. And there was, I knew there was some lamb and stuff there. So a toasted sandwich. I'm like, perfect. And then um, I was like, literally, I was about to finish the paragraph and then go downstairs and eat my lunch with mum and dad. Dad was home as well. I'm like, this is perfect. Um, then I get a little knock on the door and it's, um, it's mum's brought my lunch to my room. Like, that's nice. You know, I was going to come downstairs anyway. But she's got this cheeky little grin on her face because there's the toasted sandwich. You know, I would have had two. There was only one on there, but that's all right. But then there was two pieces of fruit. And I'm like, oh, mum, you're cheeky. Now, I don't usually eat fruit. I did eat the fruit. I haven't eaten any since. So it's a long road. We'll keep working it. But, you know, that whole journey of just raising a child of motherhood, it's, you know, it's a long journey. And, every, and it's messy. It is, you know, tiring, as we've heard from, you know, our mothers here. That, like, it's not easy. It's exhausting. Sometimes I don't know what to do. But, you know, we sing this song, Good, Good Father. And I, I think we need to believe that. In the, ver- in the bridge it says, God is perfect in all of his ways. And I just think we just need to get a hold of that. We need to believe that, that actually God is perfect in all of his ways. As he controls our life, as he changes us, as he works in us and the people that we're ministering to, we need to believe that God is perfect in all of his ways. Do you know, because... You know, I think many of us would love the blindsided change thing. You know, like when we talked about Paul, you know, many of us would sort of, I think we like the idea of that sort of overnight change, you know. But I was wondering this week, like, would we actually be able to handle it? Like, think about Paul's journey. He's, beca- he's sort of risen the ranks. He's become, you know, one of the top Jewish leaders. He's leading this sort of um, fight back against Christianity. You know, he's zealous in what he's doing. 
And all of a sudden, he's interrupted by Jesus on the road. He's blinded, and he's pretty much all alone. Like, think about those three days that Paul spent, you know, blind. He can't, he's probably thinking, like, where do I go? Like, he can't go to the Christians because they're terrified of him. He's not really going to go back to sort of the Jewish leaders and the people he's with because he's like, their, their beliefs are a little bit different now. So, like, what's he going to do? Like, his life has been just totally turned around. And, like, I think we love the story, but if, if you actually put yourself in that situation, that, that's a difficult road. That's a hard thing to deal with. You know, we even had, like, Lauren share last week, and it's like, yeah, it's a nice story, but I don't know if I want to walk through that. <laughs> Do you know? And, and so we actually need to know that... And, and look, we look at Paul's life, and we go, God, God knew what he was doing. And we look at Lauren's life, we look at other people's lives, and we go, God knows what he is doing. But we need to look at our own lives as well and go, actually, God knows what he's doing. And we need to believe that God is perfect in all of his ways. And, you know, the change in your life, it might be slow and long and a hard road, or it might be quick and instantaneous, but both are just as miraculous because when we look back, we see everything is different. And we look back and we see that God has carried us through. See, God is good. He is patient, He is kind, He's merciful, He's powerful, He's loving. But He doesn't just display that in grand gestures, but He also displays that in the long road of walking with us and consistently changing us. See, in 2 Timothy 3, it says, um, Paul writes that, you know, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures. So from t- childhood, Timothy had grown in the faith and in the sacred writings in the scriptures. And we know that from the previous context that that was his mother, most likely, that would have poured that into him, not his father. You know, and so for the mothers out there that are doing it alone or that feel like they're doing it alone, Know that, that God knows. God knows your situation. God is perfect in his ways and that he's with you. And who knows, maybe years down the track, there'll be a Timothy in your midst. But the challenge with Timothy is that you don't know that walking through. Like, you didn't know that when he was 10 years old that he's going to be picked by Paul to sort of lead the church. Like, you don't know that until you get to the end of the road and you see what God has done. So stay faithful, hold on to God. But, you know, the big question for us, for all of us, and the big question I want to ask is just that, are we living in the Scriptures? I mean, it sounds really like old school and outdated, you know. Are we reading our Bible? But, you know, it's not like, because I was thinking, like, we want to trust God to grow us in His time, you know, whether the road's short or long, we're trusting God to grow us in His time. But the other question is, are we trusting Him to grow us with His tool? tools do you know because i think so often we try and change ourselves using our own good ideas or things that we pick up in the world or these sort of things and not that that's bad you know i think plenty of those things are good but in the end scripture is the tool that god has given us to change just a few verses later in 2 timothy three sixteen, you know famous verses that a lot of you probably know it says all scripture is breathed out by god and it is profitable. It is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped 
for every good work. That this is actually a tangible tool that it's useful for training, for correction, for teaching, for equipping. You know, all those things, uh, they will change, they're, they're change words. That actually these things will change us. So I just want to encourage us this morning, real simply, just to read the Bible. <laughs> because it's God's tool that he's given us to teach and to equip and to train and to learn and to grow. Now, here's the thing. And I don't know, this is my experience with reading my Bible, is that you're not going to wake up tomorrow, read your Bible, and all of a sudden be changed. God could. It could happen. I'm not, let's not limit God. Like, that could happen. But more than likely, what happens is, is that it's a long road. That day after day, as you read your word, as you fill yourself with God's words, his promises, his lessons, his life, his teaching, that after a long road of doing that day by day, you'll look back and see that everything's different. You'll see that actually God has grown me, God has used me, and he's shaped me through his word. So I want to encourage us this morning that we would read it. Read, read, read his word when you're by yourself, when you're with your grow group, when you're with your life group, when you're in your ministry meetings, when you're with you know, your family, your friends, whoever you're with, that, that we would actually read God's word, read God's word together, and that we would trust God to grow his people in his time and with his tools. That's trust. Trust is letting God grow us with what he's given us to grow. Because in the end, change is a work of God. And that's what we need to capture in this whole series, these stories of change, that actually change is a work of God, not of us. All the stories that we heard, people, it's people who pointed to God and said, God got me through, God did this, God did that. You know, very rarely people in their testimonies say, oh, you know, I did this awesome thing and that got me to where I am. Like, when people share a testimony of faith, it's often pointed towards, this is what God did. See, God does the work. And that's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, you know, I'm reminded of your faith. And for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. That often throughout the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is described as a gift, a gift of God. And you think about it, like God, God dies our death. He pays our price. He becomes a sacrifice. He forgives our sins. But it doesn't stop there. And it was never meant to. Like so often we stop the story there and say the, the cross, that was what Jesus did for us. But actually it went on because God washed us clean. He made us right so that we can live in a relationship with him which primarily happens through His Spirit now living in us. See, that's the story of the gospel, that we are now clean, that God lives in us, and that His Spirit dwells in us. And like I said before, God saves us by grace, not by works. But God also changes us the same way. God changes us by grace and not by works because He gives us His Spirit to change us. He gives us His Spirit to work in us to become more and more like him. That happens only through God's spirit and his grace. And so that's a gift. Like that is a gift that we have been given the very presence of God to live in our lives that we can become more and more like him. You know, in John chapter 7, Jesus tells a story and he describes the Holy Spirit as a river 
of living water. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. So that the Spirit of God is described as a river. You know, a river, if you think about a river, a river brings life. A river changes things. It creates things. Like, if you, if you give a river enough time to fl- flow strongly through the same place, eventually it forms a bit of an embankment, you know. Give it a few hundred thousand years or whatever, you know, it creates a bit of a canyon. You know, it gets deeper and deeper and it continues to groove out the same place. But it only happens through the river and the river works in its own time, in its own way, just like the Spirit will change us in His time and in His way. The other thing about a river, a river is always moving forward. Rivers are always moving forward because, you know, and so I think because God's Spirit lives in us, I believe that we are actually always moving forward. It might feel like we take a backward step. It might feel like we're sort of plateaued and we're not doing much or that we're a bit stagnant. But actually, if God's in control, if God is powerful and if God is who He says He is, then the river's always moving forward. He's in control. He's powerful and He's sovereign. We need to trust Him that actually this is all part of His plan. This is all part of the story that God is changing me, that God is moving us just as He wants. And the other thing about a river is that a river always needs filling. If a river is always moving forward, then eventually it always needs to be filled up, otherwise it dries up. And that's why Paul writes to Timothy, he says, fan into flame the gift. Fan into flame the gift of God. Keep the fire alive. Keep it burning. And so we need to keep fanning the flame. We need to keep the fire alive. We need to keep filling the river We need to keep gathering together as Christians. We need to keep encouraging each other. We need to stay in His Word. We need to worship. We need to pray. We need to, you know, speak encouragement and life. We need to cut off the sin that entangles and we need to continue to look to Jesus. See, the gift of God is not that just we have been saved. I mean, that's an amazing gift as it is. But the gift of God is also that we've been given all that we need to change. We've been given all that we need to become more and more like Him. And that is the Holy Spirit. And just as we start to wrap up, I want to look at the Spirit. The three words that Paul describes as Spirit. It's not a spirit of fear, but it's a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And I want to think think about your life. You think about, if I had more power, if I had more more, more love, if I had more self-control... I don't know about you, but I think about my life and I go, I'll probably be changing. <laughs> Do you know? That actually some of my struggles to love, some of my struggles to sort of control different things and, and, and be who God wants me to be, that if I just had some more power and love and self-control, maybe I'd get there. And here's the thing, God has, God has given us that. God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That he's given us a spirit of power. That we can be bold. We can be courageous. We can break through our struggles and our sins. We can, we can overcome you know, what we're going through. That we can persevere through suffering and hardship. Not, not in our own strength, but in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of power. He's given us a spirit of love. That we can actually love our, our friends and our family, our neighbors, 
our enemies. We can love the lonely and the poor and the rich and the arrogant. Once again, not in our own strength, but in His strength. That God has given us a spirit of self-control. That we can be disciplined. We can be committed. We can fight off our sins and we can make wise choices. We can say yes and no. Not in our own strength, but in His strength alone. Now, I'm mindful that often when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we sort of go, oh, what does that look like? What does that mean? You know, we're sort of Reformed people. We're not Holy Spirit people. That's down the road. But it simply looks like, for me, is this, it's just a matter of trust. It's not a super spiritual thing of like weird stuff that we, we don't know about, but it's just a matter of trust. You know, in the end, the question is, who do you trust with, to continue your story of change or the story of change in the people's lives that you're ministering to who do you trust do you trust yourself and your own effort and your own work or do you trust God and his grace and his spirit that's really the question that actually God has given us all that we need to change God has given us all that we need to live how he wants us to live through his spirit through his word through His grace. So that we need to trust God, that He's working, even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, even when, you know, it's a long road and it's taking time and it's tiring and we don't see fruit and we don't see it working. We need to trust God that He is in control. So are you ready to change? Are you ready to change others? You, know, you have a story of change. And like we've been asking the few, last few weeks, you know, what is your story? Actually, take time to think about this today or this week. You know, what is my story? How has God changed my life? What would my life look like without God? Ask yourself those questions. Write it down if you need to. Talk about it in your families. Talk about it in your, your life groups. Create time to actually look at what is my story? And whether it's, you know, like Paul and it's the overnight thing, whether it's like Timothy, it's like the from the childhood thing, or it's somewhere in between, know that your story is powerful. Not because of how great you tell it, not because of how good you do it, but because of God who looks good in it. So make God the center of your stories. Make God the center of your conversations in your lives. Knowing that it's by His power that we do that, that we have been given the gift of God, the rivers of living water. We have been given what we need to change and to become more like Christ. So we go in confidence, knowing that God has given us a spirit, not of fear, not of timidity, but He's giving us a a spirit of power and of love and of self-control that we've got all we need to change and all we need to help change others. We've got all we need to follow Him and to help others follow Him. So trust in Him. Lean on Him, not on your own understanding. And remember, we do this not for ourselves, because that's the trap. So often we can do it so that we look good or so that we as a church look good. But we do this for His kingdom and His glory. Amen? Amen.
I'm going to invite our music team up and we're going to, we're going to finish with a song. Now, before you make any comments on the song and how old it is, it's from 1992 and I was, I was born in 1991. So whatever you say about the song, you're saying about me. And I don't appreciate being called old, all right? I, I heard a few comments before and I was like, that's not on. This song is called The Power of Your Love. Absolute classic. But it really sums up for me what we've been talking about. And I want to encourage us that we actually make this our prayer this morning. That we don't just sing this, that we don't just sort of feel that nostalgia feeling of singing it back in Argyle Way and, oh, this is awesome. But actually that we sing this as a prayer. That the words say, Lord, I come to you. Let my heart be changed and renewed, flowing from the grace that I found in you. That that would be our prayer. That would say, yeah, God, change me. God, change me. Not, not by my works, but by your grace. Hold me close and let your love surround me. Bring me near and draw me to your side. So when we stand and let's make this our prayer this morning.